Blog Talk Radio. to another edition of Tune In Tomorrow. This is our 170th episode. Some have been amazing. Some have been not so amazing. But you know what they've all been? They've all been episodes. And I've been here for all of them. And some of you have been here for all or most of them. I apologize for getting um, the chat room open so late. I hope I didn't screw anybody up. Um, it is approximately $1 billion Four hundred thirty-six million three hundred and twelve degrees in my house, and uh, I went up to the. Uh, we have this. We have this office we call the Bond office or the Bond lair. It's uh, it's upstairs and it's this big office um, with like there's like there's like three computers, maybe four. It looks like this. It looks like it looks like the Starship Enterprise, and it's where we do the editing for. Um, uh, Zombie Farm and Shark to Pronifus and the upcoming movie that we're working on now. So I went up there to start tonight's show and I fire up the computer and it is so hot that the computer refuses to work. The computer is just like, no, I'm sorry, no. There's just no way. And kids, it's only like May, what, 10th, 11th, something like that. It's the beginning of May and it's this hot. Go ahead, tell me there's no such thing as climate change because I don't say global warming because then people say well of course there's no global warming it snows no 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 it's, it's it's climate change anyway not to get off on a political note so that's why the uh chat room was so late to open I apologize but we're here now and that's what matters uh it, it, it as as someone in the chat room said air conditioning is your friend and that's very true I'm trying to push off turning on the air conditioning quite yet just because it's a big house and, you know, air conditioning in the house is expensive and downstairs it's perfectly fine. It's really – and, in fact, if you go down to the, the, the bedroom in the basement, it's actually cool down there, so I might even sleep down there tonight. Uh, but, but it doesn't matter. We're all here, and that's what's important. And uh, I'm your host, Richard Sims. I guess I should say that a little earlier in the show. I'm your host, Richard Sims the executive editor of Soaps and Depth magazine, and I'm really glad to have you guys here tonight. Um, before I do my opening little monologue slash spiel, by the way, you know what the stupidest thing to do in this kind of weather is? Turn on the oven and cook. And and you know what the second stupidest thing to do in this weather is? Turn on the oven and cook something that has to cook at like 420 degrees for an hour. So guess what I'm doing right now? That's right. I'm making my very famous patented roasted potatoes that take an hour to cook at 420 degrees because it's just not hot enough. <clears throat> anyway, before I start my little spiel, my opening number, if you will, if this was the nurse's ball, um, let me just give you the number here to call if you'd like to call in and join the conversation. It's 347-989-0685. Again, that number is 347 347- Nine eight nine zero six eight five. Once you're on the line, push the little button. When in, when the British lady who is not Anna Devane tells you to, 
uh, and I will be notified so that you can join the conversation. And I always look forward to um, people joining the conversation. It's interesting. I have a whole new format on my uh, computer right now. There's like sevens and sixes uh, showing up on the blog talk screen, and I don't know what the hell that means. But anyway, so the topic that I kind of came into tonight with was saying, um, if you are wandering around outside, keep your, you know, Casey Kasem used to say, keep your feet on the ground and reach for the stars, or something similar to that. I'm sure Dan Kroll would know the exact quote because he's sort of like the, the music countdown god. But uh, these days, if Casey Kasem was wandering, was still with us, he would say, you know, keep your feet on the ground and watch for falling shoes from the sky if you happen to be on a soap opera because there are shoes up there hanging, waiting to drop at any moment. Uh, of course, the biggest shoe waiting to drop is probably the one po- that, that's poised directly above Maya Avant on The Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, I, I have to say, you guys know I love The Bold and the Beautiful. Um, it very regularly, you know, if, if if I was naming top soap of the week, it very regularly would be um, my favorite soap because it's just one of the few shows that's still doing pretty solid classic soap storytelling almost every day. But I have to say today's episode was a total filler. You know, like by the end of the episode, it had not moved one iota. I used the word iota on Twitter today, and I can't believe, to to describe this story, in fact, I can't believe how many people I got saying iota. Ooh, there's a word you never hear. So, but, um, but it didn't, it didn't really move. At the end of Fridays, you know, uh, Liam Liam went to see Wyatt, and Wyatt said, oh, I figured out the secret. And, um, Rick and Maya were talking as they had been for days about going to Big Bear. And yes, by the end of the episode, we finally got to Big Bear, but they could have just started today's episode with having got to Big Bear. And what was weird to me was that they, they, it's not like they don't know how to do this, this kind of thing and move the story into the next day or the next phase, because just a week or so, or so ago, we had, Wyatt and Nicole on the plane and they were having their conversation and when we joined the episode the next day it was a new day and you know we sort of found out what had happened without actually having seen it so they easily could have done this it also goes to one of the problems that I I sometimes have with Bold and the Beautiful it's the one problem that I regularly have with it and that is when it gets in this kind of groove where it is only telling one story now granted there are several facets to this story because you know there's Brick and Maya there's there's Ridge wanting to take over the company. There's uh, Wyatt and Nicole. There's the Spencer Publications aspect. But, and, and so it's a nice umbrella story, but it really is one story. There is no cutaway. When we cut away from the main story, we're cutting to people talking about the main story. And that can, be, that can become a little tedious. So if you're going to do that, you have to make sure the story is moving. And while it has done a great job of moving over the last week or so, you know, because we had Brooke find out and Ridge find out and then Wyatt and now Liam and, you know, people are finding out the story is moving, but today it really didn't go anywhere and it felt like sort of a treading water episode, but that's okay because when we get to what's coming, I'm very excited about how this story is going to play out. Uh, Another person with a big old shoe hanging over their head is the one and only Elizabeth Weber Um, and this the fact that 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 she knows that uh, the man living under her roof, at, well, not living under her roof, the man who spent the night under her roof, and then was quickly banished because they didn't want Cameron to wake up and be confused. Wait, mommy, Rick was here. 
I call. I was calling him Uncle Rick. Now, do I do I get to call this guy Uncle Jake? Liz is going through another uncle phase, uh, and and then he got banished to the Metro Court, where of course he wound up. I was a little confused by Jake's arrest because I was like, wait, you're arresting him because he saw blood and picked up a gun. I mean, all the things that go on in the town and nobody gets arrested, and poor Jake gets arrested for simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, but of course, things don't look good for him because of of. As we all know, Duke died today. I feel so bad. I thought Benola Hughes did such awesome work in today's episode. It really um, – and, and the funny thing is, less so when Duke was dying and she was by his side, and more so in the aftermath when she was confronting Julian. Though Those scenes were so good and so powerful and really showed why Benola Hughes is as loved as she is. In fact, shameless plug – in the new episode of uh, Soaps in Depth, which just hit technically today, although it showed up in some places, you know, late last week, as it always does, uh, we have a great spread with um, Finola sort of talking us through her 30 years, not only on General Hospital, but on Charmed, on Pacific Palisades, all the different things she's been involved with, um, talking about some of her co-stars and stuff. It's, it's very fun, and if you're a fan of Finola's, and how could you not be, you might want to pick that up and see it. Uh, the Young and the Restless, there are also several shoes, my favorite of which, I think the story that is really working on YNR is the Chelsea Gabriel story, or Chelsea Adam, depending on how you look at it. Chatham, as their fans call them. I think that story is working. It's a story that, um, if you read uh, Michael Logan's interview with Chuck Pratt and Jill Farron Phelps last week, Chuck Pratt came in and admitted that he liked this story. And I think that's why it's the story that's working the best, because it was already in place and it was one that he liked. The stories that aren't necessarily working so well are the ones that sort of he kicked into high gear once or or created from from whole cloth once he got there. You know, I am not a fan of sort of all of the shakeups and breakups that have happened. Um, the whole Abby, Stitch, Victoria, Billy, that whole area of the canvas. Not a big fan of that. Not a big fan of the murder mystery that suddenly has disappeared off our canvas the last couple of days. Um, I just, I, but the Adam Chelsea stuff is phenomenal. It's sort of like you know, it's. It's one of those things where that's worth the price of admission. I'm really enjoying it, and I can't wait to see how they play this out as Adam and Chelsea move forward. And, of course, there's this big secret out there that she thinks he's Gabriel and he's really Adam. Uh, and they, they sort of a week or so ago dropped a little piece of information in that didn't hasn't played much, but it will, I assume, moving forward. And that is when fake Jack, or Yak, as many people have started calling him, when Yak sort of had this weird conversation with Gabriel and Yak was like, I don't know what the heck's going on here. And Yak told Victor that, uh, that there is a secret and that, you know, there's something more to Gabriel Bingham. And so there's that element waiting to play out. But then of course, uh, uh, Yak was in a car accident. He's now in a coma and he wakes up tomorrow and it looks like he has amnesia, which is an interesting twist, but I'm still struggling with Victor. I don't understand this plot from Victor's point of view. Um, it makes no sense because unless Victor plans on uh, uh, Jack never coming home, on Jack dying, on Kelly holding Jack hostage forever, Victor's plan is a non-starter from the get-go because the minute Jack comes back, he's, you know, he reassumes his life and he says, this is, this is BS, I never did this. There's also the issue that 
YNR was a show that has always traditionally done pretty good business stories. The one thing that they've sort of never done that real businesses do is put non-compete clauses. So you always had people going from Jabot to Newman and Newman to Jabot, which would never happen in the real world because at least not without without um, some lag time because they would have non-compete clauses. Um, a very good friend of mine works on Wall Street, and when he leaves one company, when he you know if he leaves one company to go to another on Wall Street, the company that he's leaving. <clears throat> actually has to pay him for a certain amount of time before he starts at the next company uh, because they need to make sure any transactions he was involved with go through. Plus, and, and so with Jabot and Newman, you know, we're supposed to believe that this all happened on a handshake and a signature as if, the, as if, as if the government wouldn't step in and be like, wait a minute, we need to look at this. This could involve some, some, you know, merger issues and all that kind of stuff. So whatever. Uh, we already have people on the line, so I'm going to jump right in and start taking some calls. Like I said, if you want to join the conversation, and obviously I really would love you to because then I can do less talking, the number is 347-989-0685. Oh, I'd also be interested to hear what your reactions were to last night's Revenge. It was the final episode. I personally thought they did a really nice job uh, wrapping all the loose strings up and giving it a giving it a nice ending. It was pretty much, you know, I I I usually am left a little bit brokenhearted by finales. I finally I find that they often don't, you know, hit the beats that you would want them to. But I really feel like Revenge did a good job of tying things up and giving you the payoffs that you wanted. So uh, let's start taking calls again. Three four seven nine eight nine zero six eight five. As we take our first call, I'm going to pop open a soda. Because uh, it's still hot in here. And our first caller is 204. 204, you're on the air. Hey, Richard, it's Al from Canada. How are you? Al from Canada. How are you? We missed you last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying to, you know, not call every week so other callers can get on because sometimes I just have some in-depth questions and I don't want to hog up a show all the time. So, Well, you're always <laughs> a welcome caller. I find you to be, you you really spread the love among all the shows and, and you ask some fun, interesting questions. So you are always a welcome caller, as are okay. all of my callers. <laughs> right on. So I'm going to try and keep this to 10, 15 minutes. I've got a couple of questions and a couple of verses questions too as well. Okay, my first question to you is, Who's the better schemer, Rick Lansing from GH or Adam from YNR? Adam from YNR, and here's why. Rick self-sabotages. Rick always, always, always um, – and, and it, I don't know if it's the way they write the character that, you know, we sort of know all of his plots are going to blow up in his face. Adam, Adam's plot is going to blow up in his face, but the difference is – if you look at the two plots, which are fairly similar, you know, Rick, Rick schemed to get Elizabeth back and Adam is scheming to get Chelsea back. So they're fairly on the surface. They're fairly similar. Here's the difference. Adam isn't roping other people into his scheme. He's basically like, this is, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to push Billy out of the picture. I'm going to romance Chelsea. She's going to be so in love with me that when I tell her, oh, by the way, I'm not Gabriel Bingham. I'm actually Adam Newman. She'll have no choice but to forgive me and love me. Whereas Rick, Rick brought in ringers. Rick brought in other people. And so it wasn't, it's, you know, when Liz found out, it's not just Rick, you lied to me. It's Rick, you lied about this, 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 and you like hurt other people in the process. So I think you have to kind of give that advantage to Adam. Okay. Um, who's better at unraveling schemes, 
Phyllis from YNR or Carly from GH? I think Carly revels in it more. Um, I was talking, I spoke this morning to Ron Carlovati for our next cover story. And one of the things I said to him, um, we, we, we were laughing about how, you know, it's a soap opera. So, you know, it's safe to assume that eventually the truth is going to come out and everybody's going to find out that, you know, that, that Jake is Jason and Liz knew and all that. And I said, there's a lot of different payoffs in this. There's, there's, you know, how will Jake react? Uh, how will Sam react? How will Patrick react? How will the Quartermains react? All that. But the one that I think fans are most looking forward to is Carly. Because Carly will cut a bitch. And the bitch in this case is going to be Liz. You know, and Liz and Carly have a difficult history. They, they, they try and be friends and they, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 they try and find a common ground, but they basically don't really like each other. And when Carly finds out that Liz has been sitting on this secret, Carly's head will explode nine ways to Sunday, and then she will basically destroy Liz's life. And I'm so looking forward to that. Phyllis right. is... Phyllis, like Rick, is a little bit of a self-destructor. Phyllis, you know, when she doesn't like something, and and really this sort of applies to Michelle Stafford's Phyllis more than it does Gina Tognoni's because we haven't really experienced this yet. We haven't gotten to a situation where we've really experienced too much of it yet with with Gina's take on Phyllis. But traditionally, Phyllis sort of shoots herself in the foot while trying to destroy other people. You know, she finds out something, she unravels somebody's secret, and in doing so, she ends up hurting herself. And she's, she's like Rick Lansing, I think Phyllis is her own worst enemy. And Carly, Carly can be many things. She can be frustrating, she can be hypocritical, she can be judgmental, she can be loud. Oh my God, I'm Carly Corinthos. Um, Carly can be many, many things, but I don't think that she's necessarily self-destructive most of the time. Okay, which character is more of a blow to the their own soap if they leave, which is all, one's already happening? Luke Spencer leaving GH or Eric Braden leaving YNR? I have to say, you know, I mean, Tony Geary, they're both iconic actors, obviously. They've both been part of their shows, you know, for for a billion years. Um, either one would be a major loss. Um, I think that Eric Braden would probably be the bigger loss because I feel like over the last, say, five years, Eric Braden's victor has been more consistently sort of kept in the front burner He's, you know, he's he's had major storyline all the time. Now, part of that is because, of course, you know, for the last few years, um, Tony Geary has been able has has had a contract that allows him to leave for big spans of time, and so they've had to find ways for him to leave. And it's hard to create an ongoing, long-term storyline with a character who, you know, is in and out every six months. Now, I will say this is something that Charlie and I have argued about. Charlie is a big believer that it's, you know, you should have half of your cast on, you know, six months and the other half on six months and like rotating cast and three months here and three months there. I am not a fan of that because one of my biggest complaints with General Hospital these days is when stories and character lines disappear for for ages, whether it's because the actor's not available or more likely because there's so many things going on the canvas that they just don't have time to deal with a particular story point. Um, 
you know, we saw we saw Ava weeks ago in the hospital when Silas gave her the injection, um, whether it was to kill her, which everyone, which we were led to believe, or something else, which I suspect. You know, it's been weeks since nobody even mentioned Ava. Um, and and so, you know, I'm not a big fan of the disappearing person. Eric Braden has been kept front and center on that show uh, pretty much solidly. Um, you know, whether you like Victor or hate Victor or like to hate, love to hate him, he has been pretty solid. I I will be sorry to see Tony Geary go because the character is so iconic, but I don't think that the character of Luke will be missed as much as would be Victor if Victor were to leave. Okay. Who's the better psychiatrist, Marlena from Days or Taylor from Bold and Beautiful? Oh, no contest. No contest. Taylor is the worst psychiatrist on the planet of the Earth, uh, on the face of the planet Earth. I mean, she's just horrendous. She couldn't help herself, let alone um, just before I just have to interrupt you for a second. Is she a psychologist or is she a psychiatrist? You know, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I, I, I don't even know the difference. I think one can, like, prescribe medication and the other yeah. can't or something. I work in a um, hospital. So, yeah. I, okay. So I don't really know. Um, but Let's assume they're is, the same. Let's assume they're the same. For our purposes, right. For the purposes of a soap, they're basically the same. Whichever she is, Taylor is absolutely the worst at it. We have seen situations where, um, uh, I mean, okay, let's, here's an example of how bad Taylor is. If you remember, one of the times Taylor visited last year, she came to visit and she was sleeping with Thorne, and we knew that, but nobody in L.A. knew that. And, and, and she knew that Allie has issues with her and is, you know, sort of a little unbalanced. She, she's had some issues. And rather than allowing Thorne to tell his daughter, oh, by the way, I started a new relationship and it's with somebody you're not particularly going to like and your head's probably going to be, you know, twirling around like the exorcist, but it's Taylor. Instead, Taylor took it upon herself to, to tell Allie. At that point right there, I thought she should have her license revoked, and I thought that Allie, when she was walking around with that um, that broadsword, should use it to cut Taylor in half because I was so annoyed with her. Marlena, on the other hand, we have actually seen Marlena do good. We have seen her help people, and we've also seen her practice some really sound psychiatry. For example, not too long ago, um, uh, Paul had come to her and was like, you know, he wanted some to, to work through some issues. And she very quickly realized, wait a minute, this is the guy who is involved in my grandson's life. And she was like, you know what, I can't continue this. I have to stop you here. I'm going to give you a referral to someone else, but I'm too personally involved. Taylor would never do that in a million years. Taylor would be like, you know, oh, come on in, lay on my couch, you know, strip, I'll have sex with you, and then we'll talk about your problems. That's, that's how bad Taylor is. Okay. You're going to open up a private investigation office. You're going to be Richardson's PI. You can use these soap heroines. <laughs> can as I call myself Dick Sims? <laughs> <laughs> Dick Sims. Yeah. Richard Sims, private dick. <laughs> okay. What, okay, so I'll give it to you from all – yeah, so I'll give it to you from all these. You can hire these two. Okay. Um, Jordan and Anna from GH, um, Brooke and um, Katie from B&B, Marlena and Hope from Days, Lauren and Christine from uh, Wynar. Woo! Those are some combos. I think, oh, my God. Um, 
what was the first one? The first one was um, Jordan and Anna from GH. See, I kind of want to go with them, even though, as as I routinely point out, they are terrible at their jobs. Um, you know, by the way, can we just stop and talk here for a second about... <laughs> so, I was so annoyed today. I'm watching General Hospital, and Sean is all concerned about Jordan and saying, you know, oh, there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect you. Really? Because when you left her, you didn't even lock the door, and that's how Bruce got in. You knew that someone was after her. You knew that there were hit people after her, and yet you left the door unlocked. And so I don't want to hear how you'll do anything to protect her because you won't even lock the door. So shut up, Sean. Take a seat. Um, But I, I kind of think, like, I have so much respect for Anna that my disrespect for Jordan, who I think is just a terrible, terrible undercover operative, balances out. But I will say Jordan does have great hair, and I think that's very important in a cop. So I would have to go with them as being. And plus, I do think that Jordan could be trained to be better than she is. So I'm going to go with Jordan and Anna. Okay. Um, this is kind of a strange question to ask, but... Who like do you like roles where on uh, soaps where both characters are like I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, which is the better kind of storyline helping each other out, not helping each other out, but kind of dual problems that each soap each soap is having. Neil and um, and um, Nikki both um, having problems with alcohol, or Jake and uh, Luke having mental instability. Well, they're sort of different because Jake and Luke really aren't interacting much. Here's here's my big problem. Yeah, I'm not even saying about interacting. I'm just saying just like their problems and dealing with it, but go ahead. Well, here's here's my big issue with Nikki and Neil. I loved Nikki and Neil when they first teamed them up and they had them drinking together and even right through the accident, although the accident really annoyed me because it was clearly an accident and, you know, the whole story we got caught up in. But what really bothers me is that over the last few days, you know, Nikki did everything in her power to help Neil. They helped each other through this whole crisis and through the trial and everything. It really bothers me that Neil is lying to Nikki and basically getting her, trying to get her um, uh, to say that she saw Jack sign these contracts. You know, he's getting her. He's basically getting her to commit fraud. And I mean, that goes against everything that AA stands for, and they've made a really big point of the fact that these two are in LA, LA. they're in AA, and they're following the steps, and it, I don't understand what the point of making them friends was and giving them, I really liked their friendship, I don't know what the point of that was if you're then going to turn around and have Neil, you know, do this really kind of dickish thing to her. It's it's really awful. Although I did, I have to say, I did like Nikki's reaction today when she was she was trying to find out from Victor if 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 you know if he had forged the signatures. And she's like, "Dude, you can tell me the truth, or I will walk over to that bar and I will drink every drop of alcohol." And I liked it on a couple of levels. First of all, I was like, "Oh, that's something I would do." <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not an alcoholic, but I would certainly be willing to go over and drink all the alcohol. But the other thing was, it just. In that same Michael Logan interview that we were uh, that I mentioned earlier, Michael Logan said that one of the things, or not Michael Logan, uh, Chuck Pratt said in the interview that one of the things that um, he that bothered him when he came on the show was he thought that 
Victor was being written as a caricature. To me, Victor has always been, up until very recently, I have understood Victor. Victor is a man who will do anything, and he will say that he's doing it for the good of his family, even when it's not necessarily for the good of his family. I feel like he is now being written as more of a caricature. I feel like, you know, when, when his wife is sitting there and telling him, I will go over there and drink all that alcohol, and he still lies to her, that shows a complete disrespect for and lack of love of his wife. I feel like writing him a, a doppelganger story where he, where he, you know, somehow finds somebody in a Peruvian prison that happens to look just like Jack, which he has done before. You know, he found a Mariah. He found Patty. Like, I, I feel like that is more caricature-ish than the way he was being written before. With Luke and Jake, um, I'm in a, I, I feel like they're, two, they're sort of two different stories because Luke, you know, has the whole dark secret in his past that caused him to uh, behave this way. And, and I feel like Luke's illness has been really ill-defined because on the one hand, they try and write it as if a uh, multiple personality story, you know, because there's Luke and then there's dark Luke and all this. But on the other hand, they keep insisting it's not multiple personality. It's, you know, sort of a mental illness, but it involves part of his personality forming something else, which to me sounds like multiple personality. Whereas Jake, um, Jake's story is, in soap opera terms anyway, a little bit more grounded to me. You know, this is a guy who has amnesia. And really, if you get run over, if your face gets run over and the worst you come out of it with is amnesia and looking like Billy Miller, you're in pretty good shape. You know, you may have some problems and you may not remember everything. You may occasionally flash back to having tried to blow up a boat. But overall, I think his mental health is probably more stable than is Luke's. Who is the best um, long-lost father-son dynamic? Paul and Dylan on Y&R, John and Paul on Days, or Sonny and uh, Dante on GH? I think it's a little too early to to judge John and Paul well. Um, I liked that twist. I thought it was really – I thought it was nice. I thought it was nice the way it played in – John and Marlena's relationship and it impacted sort of other things on the canvas. And, you know, it it sort of made sense to me. I like that. Um, I've really always liked Sonny and Dante. Um, they, They sort of bring out, they sort of make hypocrites of each other sometimes, you know, like Dante loves to play the law and order guard, but it's, but he also covered up for his father when he shot him in the, in the, in the chest, you know? Uh, so they sort of, play off each other really well and I I like that you know sometimes Dante goes to Sonny to sort of bend the law and sometimes Sonny goes to Dante I think they both work really well I when they first made Paul and Nikki uh, Dylan's parents I loved the twist I loved the fact that it played off of Dylan and, and Nikki I mean Paul and Nikki's history even if it didn't really quite track I liked that um but I, I think I'm not enjoying it so much now because it all seems, it's all tied up in this murder and it's constantly like Paul going to his father and, you know, and, and then just arguing about this case. I, because I'm not particularly interested in this case, I'm a little less interested in the dynamic between them. Um, but I like that they made them father and son, and I look forward to seeing what we get out of that in the future. And I really want to see – I'm disappointed that they haven't played more um, sort of 
because of Dylan, played more of Paul and Nikki. You know, I really thought that's where they would go here was was by, you know, Paul and Nikki have a romantic past more than once. They won't, you know, they, they have from many, many years ago, and then they almost got married later. And they have this great past that you can play on. And I assumed when they linked them with a child that that's the direction they would go in, even if it was a grown child. I, but I don't think we've mined that as well as we could. I feel like it hasn't really been explored very well. Um, speaking of just a couple quick questions, and then I'll let you get on to another caller. Um, how do you feel like Weiner's playing Paul right now? I'm on the you know Dan's uh, message boards on Soap Central, and we've all been saying that basically we don't like the way that Paul's been playing the gruff cop. It's too cliched. I kind of agree. It's it's another situation where, and there's a lot of this on Weiner right now, where characters are being written in a way that is not true to who they really are, you know? Yeah, um, like Neil. Right, exactly. Neil, uh, many characters are being written that way. They are not being written true to who they are. Um, and 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 that's bothersome for me. And I feel like that that's happening, happened with Paul. I feel like as much as I love seeing Doug Davidson, and I think Doug Davidson can sell anything, I think he is a phenomenal actor. I think the problem here is that this is not Paul. Um, it's it's you're right. It's basically some cop lifted out of some random cop show and put into Paul's body, and and that's what it feels like when suddenly you're you're seeing characters being written by someone who cares less about their history than more than about how they can use them in the currently unfolding storyline. Okay, who um, has the better acting dynamic with the person that they have to act with the most? Um, Lulu and um, uh, Maxie or, uh, from GH or um, Brooke and Katie from B&B? Brooke and Katie, I mean, both are really good. I like the female friendship that Lulu and, and Maxie have. I feel like it hasn't. It hasn't been played as much over over the last year or two as I would like, um, but when they do play it, it's nice. But Brooke and Katie, they have played that relationship beautifully for years. I mean, they feel like sisters who are friends and who have occasionally have issues with each other. They're they're sisters who you know have fought, but they're also sisters who cross one of them and the other will be there to defend her. I think I think Catherine Kelly Lang and Heather Tom just play that relationship beautifully. And when you throw Jennifer Grace into the mix and you've got the, the three sisters hanging out, it's it just feels so natural. I love when they play soap family ties and, and they play them in a way that feels real. And, you know, yes, Brooke and Katie have, you know, slept with the same men and, you know, and not just one, they've shared several men over the years. And yet B&B manages to play scenes, and they do this. They do this with um, Wyatt and Liam a lot too. Wyatt and Liam, Darren Brooks and and Scott Clifton are so. They just seem like real life brothers when they write them in just a casual scene, in just a fun scene. That's you know the, them hanging out, just like when they write Katie and Brooke hanging out. They feel real, and that's one of the things that we don't really get on. Like, for example, General Hospital doesn't really play those kind of beats right now. It, it, usually when they have, say, Maxie and Lulu hanging out, it's so the two of them can get through a lot of exposition and catch viewers up on what's going on. 
And BMB will write scenes where it is just the brothers hanging out. And there's no, you know, there's no plot being moved forward. It is just the characters sort of hanging out and having conversations that sound like real brothers or real fathers and brothers sons would have. Right. Okay, my last question so I can let people get on to. Um, this is just about G.H. versus the other soaps. Why does it seem to me that G.H. has more female conflict within their soap universe than the other shows? Like when I look at Y&R, yeah, some of it's organic, but you could probably put all the women in Y&R, like, like they had this um, thing where they had a spa scene or whatever like two or three years ago, when even though Phyllis wrote something stupid in her oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. style. I and and that. all that, and but they were all in the same room, and it wasn't like they were all at each other's throats. But GH, you could never have Ava, Nina, you know, and um, you know Carly, Liz, and Sam all in the same room. They will always, always, always have conflict. And Days is kind of like Wynar, where you could have all the major soap people, or whatever. It's not really so bad as much, and I think B and B as well. Well, I think that comes from, you know, the nature of how G, uh, of what GH is, which is GH is very plot-driven. And GH is a show that does not really – GH is a, is a show that kind of every scene has to serve one of two purposes. It either has to have exposition that explains what's happened, or it has to have conflict. Um, they're not really a big show. You know, we were talking before about how um, – you know, B&B likes to play scenes with Katie and, and Brooke and they're, you know, sort of hanging out and being sisters. That's not really something you see very often on, on GH. Um, you know, GH is a show that, that tends to write combative people. Um, and it's not really, it's really not just the women. It's, it's, you know, if you look at GH, a lot of its scenes are people fighting with each other. Um, you, you know, they, you go from scene to scene to scene, and, and a lot of it is very combative. Uh, you get the feeling that, that it's sort of like watching The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Even though all these women are on that show, you get the feeling that they don't really like each other and they wouldn't hang out together. And I don't mean the actresses on GH. I mean the characters on GH. You know, I, I was just watching one of the reunion episodes of The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and I'm like, Nene is slumming for a buck. She has no interest in being there. She, is, she, she rolls her eyes at everything. She hates everybody on that stage. She doesn't want to be there. And that's sort of how the various female characters on GH feel about each other. They don't really... There are there are patches of characters who like each other. You know, like Jordan and Anna like each other. Um, Sam Sam and and Liz go through periods where they're not at each other's throat. Um, uh, but but most of the women on the like Carly is just. I think it comes from having alpha females. You know, like Carly is a really strong woman. Phil, uh, Nina is a really strong woman. And Ava. With, uh, right. Ava's a really strong woman. And when you put any two of those women in a scene together, Obrecht is a really strong woman. You put those kind of women in scenes together, and they naturally, they bristle around each other, and they bring out the worst in each other, you know. Uh, so I think that's what you see more on GH than you might on some of the other shows. You think that GH has – who has better confidence? This is the last one, and I'm just going to go. Um, G, who has better confrontation scenes, wine or GH? Well, I kind of, I kind of think Y and R because they're not as frequent. You know, it's it's sort of like anything. If you are given it on a regular basis, it becomes a little less interesting. If 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 every time, you know, Carly walks into a room, she bites somebody's head off, that becomes a little less interesting. Whereas if you build to it, then it becomes more interesting. Now, I will say Y and R is currently 
sort of starting to move into the G8 territory where every scene is a confrontation. Um, you know, every time Victoria and, and Abby are in a room, every time Victoria and Ashley are in a room, every time, you know, um, people hate each other a lot on YNR right now. I was just thinking about that today, you know, when, when um, uh, Adam slugged Billy, uh, or maybe it was Neil slugged Billy, I don't remember, somebody slugged somebody. And I was thinking, wow, that happens a lot on this show now, and that used to be sort of a little more rare where you built up to it. So... I think shows where there is less confrontation, the confrontation has a better payoff. Okay, Richard, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Good talking to you. I always enjoy when Al calls. I don't even know if I'm pushing the right buttons at this point. I think I am, but we'll see. Um, I, I always enjoy when Al calls because he asks, you know, these like cool kind of, it's like being in a philosophy class, and he asks these really cool questions that, you know, are a little different from the regular conversations we have about what's happening on what show right now, which I love those, but it's kind of cool to have somebody who's calling in asking, you know, different kind of offbeat questions. It's it's neat. Um, our next caller here uh, is 703. If I push the button, 703, you should be on the air. Oh, wow. I'm on. Hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Finally getting the rest after work. Um, so <laughs> I know that it. feeling. I I am still working, obviously. Uh, my my day started early with a chat with Ron Carlovati, and it's still going on now, but hopefully it'll be over in about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. I wish for the best. Um, let's see. What does music may I have to say? There's a lot of things, but... Um, I'm just catching up on today's episode of uh, General Hospital, and it's on pause. But oddly enough, I don't think I've really talked to you about it, but I have to admit that I've always been someone who's never been a fan of Liz, I guess because uh, somebody people used to tell me she was, I guess, a lot bitchier, and I, I like that in her when she's more true to herself than when they sort of paint her faintly. Am I the only one who's sort of really super loving her this go around? Like they're giving her... Well, Elizabeth, um, I mean, sorry, Rebecca, a lot to play with, and it's sort of fun watching her do this. Like, do you get that, or am I just in the minority here? No, I, I really agree. I think that um, I think any character is more interesting when you give them facets. And Liz has been that way for a while now. She went, you know, she went through a period where you're right. She was sort of considered saintly, just no matter what she did, whether it was saintly or not. They sort of wrote her as if she was saintly. And then a while back, they started writing her as, you know, almost snarky. You know, like she was still the good girl, but she would just look at people and she'd be like, "Oh, I, I can't even with you today." You know, like and and <laughs> that to me made her a little bit more interesting. And now. You know, they've given her this 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 whole motivation of, you know what, I tried to do the right thing. I tried hard. And everybody else in this town, y'all shoot each other and steal from each other and push each other off buildings, and you're all forgiven all the time. So, you know, the heck with this. I'm going to do my own thing. Screw you. I'm going to, like, lie, and I'm just going to let this guy like me, and I'm going to pretend that I don't know who he is. And And that's interesting because not only – does it give Rebecca Herbst, who's doing such a good job? On the one hand, she's trying to play that Liz has finally grabbed her happiness. But she's also playing in every single scene the realization that her happiness is, A, 
if she thinks about it too much, it's coming at the cost of others, you know, whether it's Sam or the quartermaids or whoever who she's keeping the truth from, and B, the fear that at any moment this happiness could be yanked out from under her. And that makes her so much more interesting. And for me, the real fun of this story will be when the truth inevitably comes out and where Liz goes next. Because to me, you know, I'm kind of hoping that, that I, and I was saying this on Twitter a week or so ago, for me the real fun here would be if, you know, everybody finds out and everybody, like, calls Liz out on her crap and she's like, she's like, the hell with all of you. You know, you <laughs> people, look at all the things you've done. And everybody forgives all of you. I, you know, yeah, maybe this what I did was wrong, but none of you have a, any grounds to judge me. And she decides to be mm-hmm. full-on bad girl. I would love to watch Rebecca Herbst play uh, full-on uh, bad girl. The, which answered part of my next question, which was how would you want to see it go? And I personally agree with you. Um, I think if it was anyone else on that show or any other show, her excuse would have been sort of lame. But she, she made such an excellent point um, about that. Um, and it was so convincing, even though I wanted to yell at her and be like, you know what, you're doing just exactly what the guy who was trying to marry you just got finished doing, you know, him and Hayden. But when you put it out like that, it's just like you, you might have done some mean things in the day, but you've never, ever done what any of them done. And so you want to be happy. And so it's weird because I found myself rooting for her. And um, also it is weird my because life. it is it is weird because you are 100% right. She is doing exactly, literally exactly what Rick did. You know, she is she is lying. She is keeping this secret. She's manipulating. She's, she's you know, she's, she's doing exactly what he did. And yet, for some reason, we sort of forgive her a little bit easier. And maybe it's because, I mean, Rick has done horrible things in the past. You know, Rick has, you know, whether it's holding Carly in a, in a bomb shelter or feeding Liz birth control pills so she wouldn't get pregnant, and that caused her to have, you know, heart problems. I mean, you know, we've seen Liz do some low-level bad stuff, but nothing quite at this level. And But, but she is. She's doing the exact same thing. Rick did. Rick rationalized doing what he did you know, because he wanted Liz back. And that's basically what Liz is doing. She's doing, she's, she's rationalizing and saying, well, I want Jake, so I'm going to do this. Yep. And I'm just, I actually love the relationships that she's actually formed with Carly and um, with Sam. And so it's kind of funny how they're sort of like resetting everything back to zero because there will be a lot of bad blood when it all falls down. And I'm, I'm here for it. Although I do like the fact that they've all found a way to be cordial for right now. Um, but it's being su- it's going to be such a great build up. Um, I don't think it's going to last too long. Maybe I'm not sure, but I remember her trying to do something similar with his baby, and she's going to keep the paternity a secret, and she couldn't. So hopefully, this won't last too long, um, because I would like to see her happy. It's nice to see, like I said, them give Becky and Elizabeth something besides it's it's fawning after a man, but not in the. It's more so like. She's asserting power for once, like Nicholas is yeah, going to break I agree. Uh, I completely uh, agree. It's really fun, and, you know, I can't wait to see where this takes her afterwards. Um, my next question is, uh, do you – I feel like if she was just honest, like she told Rick that they would be together, how do you think or how would you like to see going forward this Jason thing played out where it can be played nicely? Because I can see it going wrong a lot of ways. How do you feel would be the best approach? Because you always talk like you can write a soap, and I wish you were a writer. So 
I want to pick your brain. Well, thank you. You mean the Jason story? Yes. Um, I I kind of think that. I mean, I don't. One thing I don't want to see is I do not want to see this story. You know, like when the truth all comes out, I don't want to see Liz pregnant. I don't want Liz to be pregnant. I feel like we've played that too often. I do, however, think that what will be an interesting development is to have Sam be pregnant by Patrick because that would be a little bit different. Like it's one thing if, if Liz is pregnant, it's just, you know, he walks out on her, she finds out she's pregnant. Does she decide to keep it? What does she do? Blah, blah, blah. But if, if, if Sam finds out at the same time that her beloved husband is alive, but the man that she's involved with and who she, you know, she clearly loves, she's pregnant by him, that makes it a more complicated scenario. And, and it puts, it sort of makes Sam, it puts Sam in this interesting position of, you know, I've built this new life and there's a new life inside of me that's part of that new life, but here's the old life. So to me, that's sort of the more interesting scenario. The other interesting scenario is we don't know you know, when Jake gets his memory back, and we talk about it as when, because obviously it being a soap, he eventually will. When he gets his memory back, we don't know what form of Jake we're going to get. Are we going to get Jason mm-hmm. Quartermain? Are we going to get Jason Morgan? Or are we going to get some, you know, sort of, uh, you know, some some combination of the two? I kind of would like to see a combination of the two. I think I, I've said this a million times to me, a story that would be fascinating to watch play out is to see um, Jason realize that, you know, he wanted to be a doctor and he almost was a doctor. Maybe he was a doctor briefly. I don't really remember. Um, but he ended up becoming a hitman. And how do you deal with the fact that you went from being a humanitarian to killing people for a living? You know, I think that could do a real, you think Luke's got some issues, you know, that could do some real numbers on your head. So um, so there's there's several different, you know, sort of um, major story points that will come out of this eventually, and it'll be really fun to see. Um, you know, I there's there's very little I enjoy more than when I'm talking to Ron Carlovati and he, and and he's sort of speculating about where the story could go. And and one thing that he always reminds me is. When push comes to shove and he has a choice dramatically, he tends to go for whichever way is going to make have the biggest impact. You know, he he he's like, you know, that's that's obviously that's your 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 value, that's your bang, getting your bang for your buck is, you know, which option has the bigger payoff. So I I think there's so many good things that can come out of this story. I'll be fascinated to see which way they go. Um, and that's what I will let you go with it before I do. Um. Just to just to piggyback in a few seconds because I'm gonna go have dinner. The best part of that story as well is not only him remembering that, but Jason. There's what over a decade of him not ever actually remembering his actual life. So to see him actually have to be his in a way his own judge and jury for everything he's done will be a very interesting thing to see Billy Miller play out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but you have a wonderful night. Hopefully, you'll have some whiskey and get some rest. <laughs> Thanks, you too. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. All right, we're going to take our next caller here. Our next call is 215. Well, hold on. Hold on one second. 215, you should be on the air. Hi, Richard. It's Amy. Hey, Amy, how are I, you? I haven't spoken to you in about a year. 
I know. It's been a very long time, and yet, only, and yet I know exactly who it is. I recognize your voice, so uh, welcome back. Hi. I actually had um, some time off of work. I thought I'd call you because I actually stopped calling because I stopped watching General Hospital. Um, so I didn't really have anything to say. And, did, you um, stop I watching, did you stop watching because, you know, like you, you know, you were just like, okay, I'm fed up with this, or was it like, you know, just didn't have time? Why did you stop, and are you back again? No, I'm not back. I did tune in today because my friends told me that Duke was going to die. So um, I wanted to – I'm a huge Anna fan. Not necessarily right. a Duke and Anna fan, but I'm a huge Anna fan. I think Finola Hughes is phenomenally talented. So I knew she would um, do a good job. So I watched the scenes just basically to see her acting, not really to, you know, <laughs> critique uh, the show in any way. Um, and she well, I kicked watch- butt. She was phenomenal. She's, the stuff she's when like she went Jackson off on Julian – yeah, she's like Jonathan Jackson to me. Like, if it's there, she'll deliver. There's never yeah. a miss. It's just kind of like, you know, if you give me the material, you know it's going to blow you away. She reminds me of Jonathan that way. He was always solid as a rock, too. And so was, like, Julie Berman and Tony Geary and people like that. Um, but why I stopped watching, I'll give you the short version. Um, I don't like a plot-driven show. Um, yeah. I'm more of a character-driven character person. Actually, I started watching Y&R more regularly because although Y&R has problems story-wise, it does, it does play all the beats. And what I mean by that is I'll use Sharon and Nick as an example. I like Sharon and Nick, but I don't mind them being apart. I'm not one of these people who needs them to be together. I'm a fan of the relationship in all of its forms, to fighting each other for custody, to being in love and almost getting married, to hating each other, to being friends. I like to see all those facets. GH doesn't do that. It does the couple, and then they split apart. Like, for instance, I really like um, Silas and Sam. And that pretty much said, I love you, they broke up. And I don't think Michael Easton and Kelly Monaco have shared a scene, and from what my friends tell me, in months. And I'm not a fan of that type of storytelling, where you just drop everything and drop the connections. I mean, and this, like, I mean, it's all the same. It's Robin, and, um, sorry, Maxie and Sam. They don't share scenes anymore. They used to be friends. I mean, um, yeah, I don't like people just being in their coupling, and that's the only way they exist is in a pairing. And I don't think they did a really good job or invested in Michael Easton's character or exploring his character, his background, giving him a friend in town. He's been in town for two years. He doesn't have one friend. Um, yeah, I don't like that type of writing, and GH is littered with it all over the canvas. So for me, it just wasn't my type of thing. Like today when I watched Anna, I watched her threaten Julian, and Finola Hughes, again, phenomenal job. But in all honesty, the things she said to him, is she really going to be able to do that? Is she really going to own it if she kills him or Carlos? Or is she really going to be able to kill Julian? I mean, Julian DeVry isn't going anywhere as far as I know. So it just seems like empty threats, and the show doesn't really seem to have a heartbeat or nothing seems to mean anything, I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. That's why I, I do. Up. I mean... I I do I, I the example that I use to sort of illustrate the point uh, that you bring up about uh, sort of couples is uh, at, at during the nurses ball Brad proposed to Lucas a very nice you know nice proposal fun cute scenes but those two hadn't been on screen bef- you know other than the day or two before the nurses mm-hmm. ball. They hadn't been on screen together for months. You know, the last time they yeah. they, they were on screen was, was when they decided to move in together. And if you only play a couple's, you know, major beats, 
but don't give but don't let us see their everyday life in between it feels a little hollow it feels sort of and it's really not very you're not very invested in it it feels very like we're right. living for the next plot point i mean even i remember when they um i thought okay they're you know going with sam and patrick because patrick knows the secret of jason and what it was revealed and sam was mad for a day and then that was it like that's the bang for our buck that's the blow up she was mad for a day. I mean, she took him back. I, I just that to me was not building to any type of climax. It had no long term, uh, you know, fallout. And I guess for well, me, the and, show has been incredibly disappointing. And, 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 and just more on the right. list thing, I was more happy. I would have been more happy if Patrick knew. And the only reason why is, first of all, I'm not one of these people who believes that you can't take characters to dark areas. I do believe it makes them more interesting. I want Liz to have an edge. I believe Becky is a badass actress. When you give her something, she was so fun when she first came on as, like, bad Liz, you know, before the rape when she was, like, Mm -hmm. just manipulating everything. Becky plays that really well. So I don't mind that, but I do think it's a little late in the game to make the character this way. I mean, she's pretty well established as she has certain things and certain lines. This just doesn't seem to me like something she would do. Not only to that, but Emily was her best friend. Monica is the mother. You know, is Jason's mother. I just it's, and there's a lot of ends there well, that just I don't dis- ring true to I me. I will disagree on that, uh, and and here's why. You know, we've talked about this in the past on the show where um, you can convince, you can change my mind about a character if it is well motivated. And I thought they gave Liz a beautiful, beautiful speech about how, you know, when she found out the truth and decided to keep the secret, they gave her this speech about how she was fed up. She was fed up with everybody in town doing bad things, and yet they got to they got happy endings. And she had played by the rules, and she didn't get a happy ending. And screw it. This time she was going to do what she was going to do what she thought would give her a happy ending. She was going to keep this secret, and you know Sam had moved on and was happy. And it, you know what would it hurt? What would it hurt for her to have this guy who didn't know who he was? And 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 it made sense to me, and it gave Becky great material. Uh, and and so I I kind of you know ninety nine percent of what you said I agree with but on that one point I I, I do well disagree I just thought that. that I just I thought that it was better if Patrick found out because not only did he make the bad choice for once but if he did it again it could kind of be seen as more understandable to me only because of the fact that Patrick hates Jason with a passion and on some level I'm sure deep down he probably blames him for Robin leaving him and Emma. And he totally probably would agree. think, well, I, and I, I I'm going to take your happiness because you took mine. Like, to me, Patrick was the better agree. choice. I do agree. I, just don't, I, thought, I think that I thought, with him, I thought, it, and it could give him some layers, because Liz has enough, you know, enough um, tarnish on her. Patrick doesn't really have much, so I think he needs to be dirtied up a little. Because he's kind of just agree. the good guy. I completely agree. I thought I thought Patrick would have been a really solid choice there too. I mean, I'm not unhappy with the Liz decision, but I really agree. I would have um, I, I would have been very happy seeing Patrick, and I won't be. You know, maybe they will play that beat still. Maybe they will play Patrick and Liz sort of teaming up to keep this secret. Um, I, I, I'm sorry that's the end of the show, guys. I, I'm sorry I didn't get to the other callers, Amy. I'm sorry I didn't get to talk to you more. Um, I really want to thank everybody for calling in. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me every week, as you do. Uh, we will be back again next week. So if you didn't get on, please try and call back. And, and I'll try I, I, I'll try and make callers 
take less time. I just, I really get into the conversations and don't pay attention to how much time is going by. Um, as always, thanks so much for t- tuning in. I'm Richard Sims, the executive editor of Stokes In-Depth Magazine. Uh, we'll be here next week. And until then, remember, because it's Stokes, what do you got to do? Tune in tomorrow. I'm moving on, I'm moving on. I'm